Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. I want to talk with you today about a clean life can choose thanks, praise, and faith. Listen to that. A clean life can choose thankfulness, praise, and faith. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for being who you are, for showing us how we can become, and for touching our life. We come back and say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to say, this is really random, but this, this passage, that two passages I want to share with you, uh, the first is found in Luke 5, 12 through 15, and if you'll turn there to Luke, both passages will come from Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 12, I encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, grab one, ESV, the NIV is, if you do it, the 1984 and back, the new one is kind of just, just a little bit it's not heretical, but they just changed some things in it. But we usually read from the ESV. I'm going to read from the ESV. But it really doesn't matter. You can get it on your phone, go to our app, open it up. But I want you in the Word of God, going back to the Word of God on your own. And like someone in our church did for Pastor Dylan's class, memorizing Psalm 119. Oh, my goodness. It just shows you don't know how big that psalm is. Um, <clears throat> quarantine is a part of life for people with leprosy. And in the Bible, we have a story of a leper. And it says in verse 12 of chapter 5 in the book of Luke, the gospel, it says the leper, that while he was in one of the, talking about Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Notice the word he uses, full. It means he had it in his toes and in his nose, behind his ears and on his hands. You would look at him and say, is that a person or is, is that just like, what is that? They did, and he's full of leprosy. And the Bible says that he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Let me give it to you in how the original language says, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. There's this confidence in him. It's probably his last hope because if he's full of leprosy, he's going to die. Who knows if falling on his face meant that his nose came off or his ear came off. I mean, this is how serious this condition is. What if you're willing? And Jesus stretched out his hand. Listen to this. Only Luke, a physician, would bring this kind of attention. It doesn't say he, said, he spoke to him. Listen to the words. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And look at the word that Luke uses. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But even now, a report of him spread abroad. A clean life can choose thanks, praise, and faith. You want to talk about a difficult life. They called in Jewish literature in the time of Jesus a, a condition of leprosy. If you, were, if you were diagnosed with that, they called them the living dead. And really, if you see all the zombie shows, right? Like, of course, you don't watch those, right? You only watch G-rated movies, of course, right? But like, like all the zombie movies, it's like their flesh is hauling. That's like leprosy. That's what it is to be full of leprosy. It was, it was a death sentence. And the Bible says that the man approached him. When you had leprosy, it could mean a number of things because there's this intense leprosy that, that Luke is trying to communicate because he was a physician. We know that he was a physician from his writings in, his, in the gospel and in the book of Acts. So he's, he's a doctor. This is Dr. Luke. 
And he goes out of his way to say, this guy had this. But there were all kinds of things that fell under uh, this. Uh, ringworms, psoriasis, right? Who thought Cindy Lauper would ever make it back into media? And now she's doing psoriasis commercials, right? And so, so she's back. There's about six of you that got who Cindy Lauper is. But she's, she's got the, the heavy queen's accent. But... Uh, in the Old Testament, we see this spoken of in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. Now, let me, let me just frame this for you in their world before we export it and give it meaning in ours. In Leviticus 13 and 14, you've got to understand that Israel's just left Egypt. They're all hanging out together. And if anybody understands what a plague means now, we do. So if you were found, you see, the doctors were kind of like the health inspectors. And so if you had a patch, and it grew, and they would do stuff like if, this, if the hair in that patch turned white, or if it was, you know, an open festering wound or whatever, they'd move you outside of the camp, and you would sit there for seven days, and they would check to see if it was a disease that could spread through the camp. And if it, if it seemed to be on the mend, they would have you go through a ritual, you would offer up sacrifice and gratitude to God, and you were on your way. If it didn't, you're on your own, as the Italians say. You're on your own. You would spend the rest of your life, or however long this disease charted its course, and pray, oh God, please don't let me be alone the rest of my life. If Ever, there's a time in history where we can identify with quarantine, isolation, and all of the things that come with that, of being away from people, or people freaking out. How many of you have had COVID, right? How many of you having COVID or whatever that people just all of a sudden you see that hesitation, like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, we're crazy about it, right? By the way, for those of you that are hippies here, any hippies? See a couple of you. I don't know how you did it, but somehow in quarantine, marijuana was legalized and haircuts became against the law. It took a half a century, but you accomplished your culture. Don't get it. And during this time, like, you would be put out, and in fact, in Numbers chapter 4, 1 through 4, it talks about the inspection. The, the, the priest would look at it and say, you know, this is something that's going to spread, or this is something, and so they would mitigate the spread. They'd watch out and make sure that it didn't go through, and in Leviticus, it goes through this whole detail about how to identify it, how to isolate, and even how to reinstate when somebody's been unclean. They would refer to it as clean and unclean, but the word that's really being used there, kodesh or kadosh, it's holy and unholy, clean and unclean. It's kind of got a, both a medical, it's not like you're dirty, but it's almost like cooties dirty. You know what I'm saying? And so you didn't want this spreading through. And so the Old Testament priests, the one thing about them is, is that they were never expected to heal people with leprosy because they couldn't. All they did was deliver the good news or bad news. Welcome back, or you're on your own. It's isolating. The Bible says it's not good for, be, for man to be alone. But women, you don't mind that from time to time when we take the children. But we're called the body of Christ. We're one body in many parts, and if there's anything that COVID should have told us by now is that isolation, agoraphobia, and being away from people doesn't make us better. It makes us less of who we are. In fact, the, the illustration that Jesus says is that the hand, if we're a body, right, Jesus is the head, right? The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Where would hearing be? Where would smelling be? Where would touching be? Where would, where would walking be? We need each other, which means that my life and your life without people is incomplete. We were not made to be in isolation. We were not made to be separate from each other. We were not made to just simply sit next to each other. We were made to interact and learn to become supportive of one another. And so this man is in a place of leprosy and he has no hope. 
and he runs up to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're just, if you're just willing, if you're willing to do it, I know you can do it. If you're just willing to do it, he, he could have, Jesus at that point, according to the law, could have been like, what are you doing near me? In fact, there was no reason why that man should have been anywhere near Jesus because lepers were supposed to stay away from people. All through the Old Testament, you have these epic stories of leprosy. And usually, they usually come on for, for pretty difficult and bad reasons. For, for instance, in Numbers 12, uh, in Numbers 12, starting in verse 12 through 15, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, all of a sudden get a little bit jealous of Moses having all the power. And so Miriam starts criticizing Moses because she, he married a Cushite wife. And if you know anything about the ancient Near East, they categorized the world into four people. White, beige, brown, and black. They called them the three classes of people. The Cushite was black. The Israelite was beige or brown. So basically his sister was racist towards Moses. And the Bible says that while she was going off, God spoke and said, why don't you bring your sister, your brother, and, me, and yourself and meet me at the temple? And the Bible says that the Lord spoke and said, I speak to people through my prophets, but not like Moses. To him, I speak face to face. Why were you afraid to speak against him? And the Bible says instantly, poof, leprosy begins to break out on Miriam. That would totally cure the racist problem in America, wouldn't it? Now listen, there's lots of pastors out there that will preach this, and don't touch Lord's anointed. This is not your pastor saying you can never speak up in disagreement or anything like that. This was a unique situation. We're human beings. I'm flawed. Dylan happens to be way smarter than me. Adam happens to be way smarter than me. We, we, we're good at listening, but it also means that all of us probably need to grow together, don't we? So, so it's, but, but here in this situation, she was just way, way out of line. You know how power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? That's what happened with Miriam, and she just lost it, and God went boom. And lucky for her, she, they were supposed to move on towards the promised land, but they had to pause. Miriam sat in the camp, outside the camp, for seven days. They inspected her by the grace of God. Her condition was temporary. She was allowed back in the camp, and they moved on. But she never caused a ruckus like that ever again. That's a pretty intense leprosy story. There's one here that leaders could relate to. Second Chronicles, King Uzziah. King Uzziah was one of the great kings of Israel. They were so humiliated and humbled, and he steps in. He rebounds the economy. He rebounds the temple. He rebounds the church. He rebounds the state. He's like the man. And the Bible says that when he, this is how it literally says, it says, but when he was strong, he grew proud of his, uh, to his destruction, he was unfaithful to the Lord. The Bible says that he decided since he was king and he did all these great things, he should be able to walk into the presence of God the way that the priests did. And so he grabs some incense and he goes in and they're saying, King, this is not good for you to do. You're not supposed to do this. And the Bible says that he became angry with the priests and instantly, boof, he broke out in leprosy. In fact, his story is even sadder because it says that he was full of leprosy and he wasn't, he wasn't, what would happen is, is they buried him near the kings, but they wouldn't bury him with the kings. They sealed his tomb. And in fact, I've seen that tomb. And the inscription says, here lies the bones of Uzziah, the king leper. Do not open. I mean, we could talk all day of these incredible stories. I mean, this is why reading the Old Testament is great, but there's four letters, uh, lepers, and I love this story. My wife was like, I like these guys. They're practical, right? They're totally riddled with leprosy. They're in the Old Testament. Their city is surrounded by the Syrian army, and they say, we're dying. The city's starving. If we go into the city, we starve with them, we die. If we stay here, we rot, we die. Why don't we walk towards the enemy's camp and maybe they'll give us something to eat 
or they'll kill us and we'll die. So they're really practical in their options. I love these kinds of people. They make great, great team members. Pastor Dylan's like this. It's like, this, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Hey, there's one good thing that could come out of that. Let's check it out. Let's go. And the Bible says as they were walking there, the enemy heard a great noise and they said, oh my goodness, the Israelites have hired the, these king, other kingdoms and armies against us. Let's get out of here. They take off, right? And they walk in and there's like, there's like chicken on the grill. There's steak. The Bible says they start eating and then all of a sudden they say, Let, check it out, there's some gold. They start, these guys start moving gold. And the Bible says they bury it and then they come back, they eat some more and they bury some more treasure. And then they say, wait a second, this is a good day for Israel. Why should we keep this to ourselves? And they walked into the city and they said, hey, you know how you guys are in there starving? The enemy's gone. And they left everything. Now, they never got healed. We could talk about the slave girl and Naaman, the, the leper. Naaman, he was the general of this Syrian army. In fact, it's all around the same time. He would have been the general, probably, that surrounded that city. And the Bible says Naaman was a great man. He was a smart man. He was an honorable man. But he was a leper. And one of the girls who probably was taken in slavery from that raid was now serving Naaman's wife and says to him, oh, if you would just go to Israel to see the great prophet Elijah, surely he would heal you of your leprosy. And so what does he do? He's got no choices left. He's a great man. He's a wonderful man, but he's a leper. He's going to die. So he brings a whole delegation. The Bible says that he brings like four talents of silver, which is like 250 pounds or some kind of crazy ridiculous. A talent is like 200, some, some kind of ridiculous amount of money. Like this is like uh, Elon Musk saying, let me write you a check for half of my wealth. He shows up with all this money and Elijah just comes to the door and he's like, uh, my servant will talk to you. And he says to him, he says, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. It's good for us to hear these stories. Listen to this. Dip yourself seven times in the, in the Jordan River and you will be clean. That's it. Goodbye. Keep your money. <laughs> Door closes. And this has got, have you ever watched people, dignitaries walk in? I remember Buddy Cianci from Rhode Island. It's crazy. Just, just, the people that walk in and they just own the room, they have power, they have influence, and this guy doesn't even talk to Naaman. He sends his little assistant to talk to him and closes the door, refuses payment, and the guy's about to leave. This is why I share this story. I feel like God has something for someone here on this. He says to himself this, he says, he says to his group this, he says, he's gonna send me to the Jordan River and dip in that filthy river seven times? Couldn't he have waved his hand over me and done something fancy and said some words? Couldn't he have sent me to my home country up by Damascus for this river or that river, which is way cleaner than that nasty thing? And one of his servants says this, if he had told you to do something fancy like that, would you not have done it? Why not try it? I feel like someone needs to hear this. Don't miss the cure because you dislike the method that God chooses. There's some of us here, when we come to church, we've got our own form of leprosy. We've got our own soul rot going on. But God, maybe, maybe God's method for you is to show up every Sunday, to plug into a small group. I know this sounds very self-serving, but like, I, you know, whether you show up or not, I don't know, I'm called to pastor the people that show up here and the people, I'm only pastor over somebody's life if they allow me to. So if you're here and you're not allowing me permission to speak into your life or whatever, I'm not your pastor. I'm, I can only pastor people who give me permission to speak into their life and allow me to do that. But, but like maybe you can make sure that you don't miss the cure because just simply because you dislike the method that God chooses to do it. Maybe the, the negativity in your life is that rot of leprosy that's going on inside of you and you're going to continue to rot from the inside out until you pick up that stupid phone and make that call to the person that you need to apologize and stop worrying about stop worrying about who's right and who's wrong and just say listen it's more important that you hear that I love you and and maybe that method is the thing that stops the rot in your heart and your soul but don't miss the cure because you don't like the method that God gives you he's God you're not 
And listen, there are many of you here, your Christian life is about going to church and singing songs, but you're not in this book, and you're missing out on the cure. There's all kinds of diagnoses in this thing for bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and sickness and disease and fear and anxiety, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. Don't miss the cure because you dislike the method. And this guy that walks up to Jesus, he's, he's at the end. It's all over for him. He's got nothing to lose. But yet, what's beautiful about him is, is that he comes up to Jesus in a very humble tone of humility. In fact, the way this is written in Greek, and I say this because some of you can go in and explore this, but it's beautiful because it doesn't really express it fully in English. It's almost like he's, he's not falling on his face saying, oh, Jesus, you're Lord, you're, you know, touch me, heal me if you're willing, you know. It's literally in humility, like, I, I shouldn't ask this of you. Please, you don't have to, but if you're willing. That's the kind of tone we should take with God. Not the tone that says, if this is what happens to my life, I want nothing to do with you. No, you come before God and you say, oh God, if you're willing to. And he doesn't make a condition to say if he's not willing that he still doesn't adore him. That's that's the mistake that so many people make is is that they blame God for everything wrong that goes on. But the truth of the matter is, is that this is a sinful world. Bad things happen to good people. It just happens. Divorce happens. Abuse happens, addiction happens, bitterness happens, mental illness happens. It just, it happens. We're in a fallen world. If you're looking for the kingdom of heaven, and we'll talk about this next week, it's not going to come from Washington, D.C. or from your petition. It's going to come from saying, Jesus, the rest of the world may hate you or not care what you have to say, but this heart is your throne This mind is subject to your thoughts because they're not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. As higher as the heavens are above, so are your thoughts higher than mine and your ways higher than mine. I am in subject to you and subject to your kingdom in obedience to your word, which means that I have an opinion, but it's subject to your opinion on the matter, which is why these dove and vulture conversations that we're going to be having once a month are so relevant because we can have feelings about something and thoughts about something, but how we conduct ourselves with it and also what scripture says about it is that this is what scares me in the 21st century. There's a rot that's happening in front of us. This is your standard for life, morality, faith, and practice. And if it disagrees with you, it's you that needs to change your life to fit this book, not for us to rewrite, as Pastor Dylan so professionally explained to us last week and eloquently, that we don't stop loving people, but we also were the ones that have to change and make adjustments. But we love people where they're at. Uh, we talked last week about um, the LGBTQ uh, transgender, he's got someone in his family, he had mentioned about this, serve our city, you go down there on a regular basis, there are people coming out who are transvestites, people are transitioning, and guess what? We love them. We love people where they're at. We want them in relationship because we believe that Jesus can talk. But, But for us, there's a rot going on in our society that we no longer embrace this as the rule and standard for our life. And believe me, I've done things on a level of looking at manuscripts and text criticism. I can point out all of the areas we could snipe at this where it's imperfect, but we're we're pretty close to having what we, we need here. And there's some great advice in this book. Don't, let me say it again, don't miss the cure because you dislike the reading method. Right? I would rather listen to something or watch a movie instead of read. I'd read 10,000 pages a semester for my doctoral work. I hate words. <laughs> but you can understand. But here's, here's this guy, he's riddled. And I think of how many young women and ladies, if I could just say this, something that is easy for you to overlook, 
how many young men who have been the victim of sexual abuse that has distorted their self-image so that every time they walk up into a mirror, even though every single lady or man looks at them and says, oh my goodness, they're so beautiful, all you see is how ugly you are because of the leprosy of somebody who, unlike Jesus, who appropriately touched the leper, somebody inappropriately touched your life, her life, or his life. How many, I'm just going to, I'm letting it rip, I don't, as a pastor, how many young men are older men right now in this room? And, and the attention of that abuse very easily goes in the direction of ladies, but you've carried that secret your entire life because of the embarrassment of it. There's correlations to people's life and lifestyle and behaviors in correlation to that hurt that's there. Now, here's the beautiful thing. There are so many in this room also whom Jesus touched the rot of that damage that that person did to you. And this is the beautiful thing of serving the Savior that we do, whether it's a physical rot because of a, a disease. He simply is able to turn to us. And the Bible says, he touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. Jesus' word would have been enough, but he touched him. And that touch spoke and crossed the shame barrier that that person was living under. And I want you to know something today. Whatever that secret rot is in your soul, whatever that hurt is, whatever that thing that was supposed to be something good that God has given us, that was supposed to be something good, those people that were supposed to protect you, but they passed on their disease and their sickness to you from one generation to the next, and it passes from one person to the next. And I don't know about you, not everybody is going to become a heroin addict, but the world has a higher likelihood of people with sexually inappropriate or uncontrolled appetites that damages so many people. I want you to know something. We serve a Savior who has an appropriate touch. And he can touch that area of your life. And that you don't have to continue to rot in front of the mirror or starving yourself or throwing up your meals or for guys, it turns into just binged, crazed, drug, and sexual unrestraint. Jesus is saying, stop the madness. I'm willing. Be clean if you want me. I'll touch your life so different from the way that they touched your life. I can change you. I can help you. And in fact, the way that Jesus says, be clean, it's so beautiful. He goes from this gentle, beautiful, loving, I'm willing. And it's, he speaks in the imperative with an exclamation point. Be clean. Like, it is finished. And the Bible says immediately he's cleansed. It's so beautiful. And this is the, the other interesting thing. Is Jesus says, hey, listen, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses had commanded. A lot of people, this is the big misunderstanding, especially with West, uh, Western New Testament scholarship. It, it, there are some incredibly brilliant, brilliant people. The interesting thing about the Gospels is, is they're very much more Eastern Jewish context. They don't have fables, they have parables. Jesus is not a philosopher or a Western theologian. He's a rabbi. And some of the stuff that he does is just kind of easy for us to miss. But the, the priests, they were based in Jerusalem. So when he says, go show yourself to the priest, now this is up somewhere along the way. It's certainly not near Jerusalem. He says, go show yourself to the priests. A lot of people say, you know what? We don't need the law. We're free from the law. Those Pharisees were totally about the law. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. Well, that's really great because some of you have been annoying me and Bible, I'm no longer subject to thou shall not kill. You're going down. Like that doesn't make sense, does it? To simply say the law means nothing. No, we're free from the ritual aspect of the law. But Jesus, the Bible says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to uphold it. I've come to fulfill it. I've come so that you might have life and life more abundantly and empower you to live a righteous and holy life. Not a perfect life, but a life that graces your flaws so that when you're going in the right direction, it may not be in perfection, but my grace 
meet you where your truth and humility join me, and I continue to move you forward, and you walk straighter in a crooked world little by little over time. And that's why we are not the same person now that we were then. We keep coming back to his grace. It's not a license for sin, but Jesus said, go to the priests. He said, show yourself to them, and he, and he shows them. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus, when he touched that man, Technically, he should have been unclean, according to Jewish law. But the opposite happens, because the precious Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, touched the man riddled with rot. The opposite happened. The man became clean. Everything that Jesus touches, if you will let him touch it in your life, he can cleanse it. He can touch your mind and remove the perversity from it. He can touch, listen, listen, he can touch, listen, through the years, I know none of you that this applies to in this room. I mean this with all of my heart. I am not lying when I tell you this. If you, there are some of you in here You've got voices in your head, and you struggle with this. Schizophrenia is real. Not everything that happens out there is demonic. Jesus can touch that mind of yours and heal you. He can do it. Now, I don't understand why he doesn't cleanse every problem. I don't understand why. I understand why Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life, and Jesus didn't heal him, because it was a constant reminder, oh, my gosh, I may, be, I may be walking like this the rest of my life, but I know that God touched me and changed me, and I'm never going to be the same, and if I have to limp for the rest of my life, well, thank God, because at least God touched me. I don't understand why some people have conditions that never go away, and other people, Jesus just does it like that. I don't get it, but I could sit here all day and talk with you about people medically. Listen, we, we, we want to hear from you. If God ever touches you, please go to your doctor because it would be wonderful to hold up an MRI and say this was them riddled with cancer. This is them completely without cancer and they didn't have chemotherapy or surgery and we don't know how. And we say, we do. That's called a miracle. Because whatever Jesus touches, he can cleanse. If he's willing to do it because he's glorified through it. What's interesting is, is they would do this ceremony, and I'm going to roll this down. I told my wife, I said, this is great. You're not going to be in service, so you're not going to be able to tell me what I did wrong. And she said, no, I'll tell you you did wrong because service will go too long. And she's in nursery right now serving, which, by the way, we need tons of nursery workers. If you're a member and you are available to do that, we would love your help in that area. But you would go to the priest, and if you were cleansed, of leprosy. They would take two doves. One they would kill, and the other one they would sprinkle the blood from it, and they would let that one free as a symbol of like, although you should have died, although you should have uh, been subject to that sickness and that disease, you, you are free. And then they would open, they would offer up three, three like two, two lambs and a ram, and the priests would eat, and it turned into a barbecue. It was, and that's really what you have to see as sacrifices too. It didn't just all cook up and, and book up to heaven. They cut up the thing, the priests got a little bit, you and your family got a little bit, you sat around, so it was like a good old fashioned uh, beef barbecue with lamb and ram and all these different kind of things. And then at the, the final ceremony, this is so beautiful, they took blood from the animal and they touched their right earlobe, their right thumb, and their big toe because they knew what it was like to hear people say, you are so disgusting, you're so dirty. They knew what it was like that they couldn't touch something because they, were, they weren't clean. They knew what it was like to say, I really want to go there, but I can't because I'm unclean. And then after they anointed it with blood, saying, it's forgiven, it's cleansed, it's made whole, then they took oil and they said, now may everywhere you go, may God bless your ears to hear all his words for your life. May everything you touch be anointed by God so that while you defiled the world, now you'll liberate it. And then may God anoint your feet so that you no longer walk or be forbidden to walk in places, but that you're whole, you're clean, and you're under the covering and anointing of God. This is the beauty of this truth. This is the beauty of this truth. But there's one other story, and I want you to flip forward. 
And I'm going to ask if uh, the piano player would come back up. You're still here. Yeah. The birthday girl. Sing it with me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mary Evelyn. Mary Evelyn. Happy birthday to you. Hey, you know what's really great about God? He understands my attention deficit. I totally believe that he understands I can laugh and totally go in another direction and then jump right back in. But I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be like, Lord, and he's going to be like, be gone from me. I never knew you. And then he's going to say, gotcha. Come on in. <laughs> Sorry for the attention deficit, oh, shiny. We can sing happy birthday and still close with this beautiful, powerful, incredible truth. I'm not going to read it to you, but it's found in chapter 17 of Luke, the physician. The Bible says this. Jesus was walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. And if you see the path that they take, you could either go through Samaria or you could go up the Jericho Road and be on the edge of Samaria. And there in the middle of nowhere are 10 people. They're all lepers. In fact, my favorite picture biblical picture is in the foyer. I took it and hung it in there. If you go to the right will be all the pictures of Serve Our City and you should see that and jump in. But to the left there's a picture. In the distance there's nine guys going yeah. Looks like, you know, Patriots when we were winning the Super Bowl for how many times did we win that? Huh? Six? How many times did we win the Super Bowl? Any Patriot fans here? Huh? Vivian, Six? I don't know any other teams. Like, your teams might not have won six. We've won six. That's not a holy moment. All right. He sees these guys like they're celebrating the Super Bowl. And they're in the distance. But there's Jesus. They come up to him. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. And he shouts back to them, go show yourself to the priests. And then they take off, and they're on the run, and they're, they're totally doing their thing, and all of a sudden, Jesus is trying to go forward, and somebody scurries in front of him, dust cloud going up, and there, like the first person we read about now is another person in front of him, and he's saying, Jesus, thank you. I just wanted to come back and say, thank you. And Jesus looks to his disciples, not to the man, and he says this. He notices something about him. Number one, he's not only one of ten lepers, He's also a Samaritan. Now, you have to understand, Samaritans would be like me saying a Al-Qaeda enemy. That's the tension that was between Israel and Samaria. It was almost the tension of terrorism. They had murdered 4,000 Jews going to temple, 2,000 one other time, multiple occasions. There was incredible tension. And he says to his disciples, he says, were there not 10? Where are the other nine? All that comes back is one, this foreigner, a Samaritan. Now he's talking like that, not down to the guy. He's talking to his disciples saying, how sad. And he looks to the man, and now you can just picture his countenance changing. And he says, your faith has made you whole. What I tend to find is this. It's that the kind of gratitude that God is looking for needs, requires from our life, that's part of the cure, is usually proportionate that one out of 10 people double back. That's why Luke 17, 17 is, is a life verse of mine. Every time I go somewhere, every time I have a moment with Jesus, I'm like, Lord, if you never do anything for me ever again, I want you to know how thankful I am. When I'm in the Middle East and I go to Israel, I say, Lord, if I never come back here again, I want you to know how thankful I am. I leave my house and I go to work and I say, Lord, if I ever do not come home again, I want to thank you for the life that you gave me that could have ended back here. And is, I've got children and I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. I just, I just want to keep thanking you and praising you. And we wonder why people lift their hands and kneel at the altar. You should try it because... 
It might be different for you, but this is why we do it, because it's biblical. Why do people put their face on the ground? Because they're coming back and they're saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's a difference between that and a kid that's like, thanks. I find that gratitude to God is a one to 10 ratio. And sometimes all of the people from God's house are missing, and it's that one person from the outside because it's easy for us to take for granted the goodness of God. God, if you're willing, touch that damaged place of my life that's been trapped since I've been six. God, if you're willing, touch that part of my adolescence where I opened a door that I haven't been able to close. Lord, if you're willing, touch that part of my life that I've given away that I need to take back and I don't know how. Lord, take this rot away from my mind where I can't think pure, I can't think whole. I hear so many voices and it's not schizophrenia, it's just, just, just my own mind. It's, it's so gross. God, would you just touch the rot in my life? Lord, if you're willing, I know you can do it. And Jesus is saying to you here this morning, I'm willing. Be clean but he's not going to force you to do it. In fact, the truth is there's some of you here that don't want to be clean. The Bible says it like this, as the dog returns to his vomit, so the fool to his folly. Don't be a fool. It's time for real change in your life. It's time for real change in your life. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to give you an opportunity, and it's going to require a response from you. It's your choice. And it doesn't mean if you don't respond to us that this doesn't apply to you either. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, that isn't how it works. And I have no ego to bruise on this by saying, Where are you, why are you leaving? If you're leaving, you know, you're not following God. I, I understand, like, but there's some of you, you need to respond to this. You need to come up here. You need to kneel before God. You need Jesus to speak to you. I have the privilege of knowing someone who was a crack addict. He had a family, he had a wife, he had a daughter, but he somehow ended up getting an addiction. He was in a nice apartment in Brooklyn and he could not get free. And he would go once a week to this dog house in the neighborhood with his pockets filled with crack vials and he'd just smoke away in the dog house while he kept an eye out for the dealer that was near there. And some of you, this has been your life and you get this. And he did this for years and years. He just could not get clean from the addiction. Could not. And so one day he came home and he knew his wife. She went to church on a regular basis with his daughter. And she was, they were, he came home and he was just empty. He said, I was just empty. I, was, I, I, I just wanted to see my wife and my daughter. And I knew where they were. They were at church. And he said that he started walking to, his, to the church where they attended. In the meantime, there were 4,000 people in attendance, and a woman comes up to pastor and hands a note and says, I believe that we need to pray for Calvin right now. And all of a sudden, the pastor just says, hey, you know, somebody's got a word, somebody's got something. Somebody, somebody just handed me a note, God uses this person in a unique way, but I feel that we need to pray for Calvin right now. And the whole church began to say, Lord, we pray for Calvin Hunt right now. We pray that you would set him free. We pray that you would save him. We pray that you deliver him from addiction. God and his wife and daughter are sitting there, tears pouring down their face. And all of a sudden, he stops. And in a room, he walks into 4,000 people calling out his name to Jesus, saying, God, save Calvin. And in the middle of the aisle, he drops down to his knees, tears pouring down his face. And the pastor looks and says, and there he is. And there he is. And to this day still, Calvin is one of the lead singing voices for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. But here in this place, out there in the streets of Serve Our City, there are Calvins. And it might not be crack. That just makes it easy, right? Well, they got a crack addiction. You know, drug addicts got their problem. No, you got, you got a rot in your soul. It's called bitterness. You've got a rot in your soul. It's called lust, deviance. I don't know. What, listen, different strokes for different folks, but you can go to hell just as efficiently and destroy your life and make your family's life a living hell with bitterness or perversion just as effectively as you could with heroin. 
You can do that. And there are some of you here today, listen, I am not opening a confessional, I am not holding up a microphone, but I'm telling you, you need to be free. You've been begging God to be free. This is that moment. And as Mary Evelyn plays, it's on you. You see, if I touch you, that means nothing. If you say, oh, Jesus, if you're willing, please touch me, he'll change your life. He's willing. I'm going to pray, and she's going to play. And if you want God to touch that part of your life, maybe that abuse is your story. Maybe addiction is your story. Maybe bitterness is your story. I don't know what it is. Maybe you hold the dollar too tight. I don't know what it is. Different strokes for different folks. But this is between you and Jesus. You are free to come. You're free to pray. You're free to go. This is between you and him. He's willing. If you come forward or into the aisle and say, God, if you're willing, please make me clean. How many of you want to be clean today? You're going to have to get out of your seat. Come forward. Let's do it. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, as people, right now, I'm going to tell you right now, just start walking right now as I'm talking right now. Come on, nudge your spouse. Like, that's for you. <laughs> and then you pull on them. That, no, that was for you too. Lord, as we come forward right now, as we find a place here, Lord, we're coming to do business with you, not with a pastor, not with a church, not with, with numbers. We're coming to do it with you. Father, we're saying to you, if you're willing, make us clean. One touch from you, Jesus. One touch from you. It will never be the same. One touch from you. You're willing. Cleanse us today. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, move across this place, Lord. Move across this place today in the name of Jesus. Move across this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here is where I down every burden every crown this is my surrender this is my surrender here is where i lay it down every lie and every doubt this is my surrender now, you know, some of you are here and you know the routine, but others are up here and they're, they're like, this is kind of weird, but I'm here. What, what do I do? And this is that kind of church thing, but it's really simple. You can be kneeling, you can be lifting your hands, but I want you to just say this with me, dear Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. Forgive me of my sin. I forgive those that sinned against me. Touch the rot in my life and immediately make me whole. Here's the voice of Jesus for you. Of course I'm willing. I've been waiting. Be clean. Be clean. Be clean. You're free. You're clean. You're not a prisoner anymore. 
We're going to continue to let this music play and these people stay however long you want to. My wife is going to tell me it went wrong. I'm going to say, sorry, honey, it actually went really right today. But there's a, there's a, uh, there's a group of us, I call them my wisdom council on our doves and vultures conversation. And those of you that are a part of that, we're going to meet up in the children's church area. But we just don't want to disrupt this. But this is beautiful. When God shows up, you just want to make sure you get that release. Now, if you've got family or food or appointments, you're free. Like, there, there's nothing. But, but don't just run away. Some of you need to say, God, probe deeper. Probe deeper. Search me. Help me. Some of you need to forgive yourself. Some of you need to forgive yourself. We all have our stories, right? When I was 12... I was an alcoholic. When I was 13, I was a drug addict. When I was 14, I was so immorally tossed around, you could technically classify it as human trafficking, where I found myself in beds with people, multiple people, money going to other people. And Jesus touched me, and he cleansed me. And it started way back here in my childhood. But my gosh, that rot had so overtaken my life. You don't have to offer yourself anymore to anyone except to him and to the one that God chooses for your life. Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse that in my life. He can cleanse that in any of your lives. He can do it. I'm honored to be your pastor. I am proud to watch you allow God to be everything he wants to be. Let's bring people here and let God do in their lives what he's doing in ours. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.